I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of character, that character counts. And I want to talk to you about this because I believe this. I believe that as a culture that we are at a very precarious crossroad. All you have to do is, is, is look at the political drama that has unfolded in our nation over the last 18 months. And it's very clear that we are at a crisis as a culture. We used to expect, not just expect, we used to demand character from our leadership. And now character is not considered to be a requirement. And in fact, in some places, character is considered to be a deficiency. I want you to know this, character counts. Sir, as a husband, character counts. As a dad, character counts. Ma'am, as a wife, character counts. As a mother, character counts. As a businessman, character counts. As a citizen, character counts. As a Christ follower, character absolutely counts. It counts. I want you, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're not in the sanctuary at Calvary, but instead you're given a little bit of a window into history. And I want to take you to Jericho, to the house of a, a prominent, uh, a rather wealthy man. You see, he's the, he's the tax collector for the region. And as a tax collector in an area that has a significant economy because of where it's located geographically and because of its significant agricultural base, he does very well for himself. He would make a very prosperous, a very generous living if he played by the rules. But he doesn't play by the rules. And so the money that flows into his home is massive. On this particular morning as we get our historic look, Zacchaeus is listening in on the conversation of several of his house staff. And this is what he hears. Did you hear about it? Do you know? That, that man that everybody talks about, that, that man from Galilee, Jesus, I hear he's supposed to be coming through Jericho today. I'm really hoping that I can, that I can slip away because I'd really like to catch a glimpse of him. I'm wondering if he really is all that they claim he is to be. I, I, I've heard that he, that he raised a man from the dead. I heard that he, that he walked on water, literally walked on water. I heard that he caused a, a leper to be cleansed. And that he can calm the winds and calm the waves. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that I, could, that I can catch a glimpse of him today. Well, you, you, better, not let, you better not let Zacchaeus hear that. Because you and I both know, you try to... Skirt out early on him, he will come after you. Because you know what? He doesn't have a problem cheating other people, but you cheat him and it's not good for you. Well, just don't, don't, don't tell my secret and, and, and maybe you can help cover me because I'd, I'd really, I'd love to see, I'd love to see this Jesus. I'd, I'd love to see if he's for real. Zacchaeus is overhearing this. 
He's torn. The idea of somebody cheating him, cheating the cheat, he doesn't like that so much. And, and, he, and he wants to step out and, and call them on what they're, what they're talking about. But, but there's also, there's something within him that's very intrigued. And here's what he knows. If this guy Jesus is coming through town, there are going to be crowds. Because everywhere he goes, the, the masses are following him. It, it seems like every time he speaks, he speaks to multitudes. And there's, there's something within Zacchaeus. It's, it's curiosity. It's, it's actually more than curiosity. Something is drawing him. He, he, he doesn't know what it is. He, he can't put his finger on it, but there's something that's drawing him. Zacchaeus knows two things. He knows, number one, that with the crowds and him not being very popular, it's going to be pretty tough for him to see Jesus. Second, Zacchaeus does not want to be seen as vulnerable. Now, he has some options. He has almost unlimited resources, so he can pay someone and get a place of great vantage on a rooftop. But then his interest in Jesus is going to be known. He doesn't want that. He wants to do this very beneath the radar. And so he decides, he says to himself, you know, there's a spot along the route where there's that large sycamore tree. If I can head out early, I can climb up into that tree and no one will see me, no one will be the wiser. And that's what he decides to do. He decides to very covertly to get out early, climb up in that tree, and wait for Jesus and his people to walk by. And sure enough, sometime later, here come the crowds. And you can see Jesus off in the distance. And, and then he, and then he, and then the, it stops. The entourage stops. Something's going on. There's commotion. And then there's, there's all this buzz. Jesus has healed a blind man. Well, now the anticipation in, in, in Zacchaeus' heart, it's getting a little bit bigger. He's also, there's, there's anxiety for some reason. The entourage is making its way a little bit further, and, and, and then it stops. He's like, what in the world is going on? And then there's commotion. He, he's, he's, he's healed a woman that's had a, an issue of blood for, for years. And then the entourage begins to move again, and, and he's, he's, he's anticipating it going by. It's, it, it's almost like a modern-day parade. And yet something happens. That for Zacchaeus is totally unexpected. And if you've grown up in church, you know the story, right? Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for what? Lord, he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And what did he say? Come on, you can do better than that. Ready? Help me. Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I'm going to your house today. Right? And if, if you grew up in church, there's, 
there's hand motions with all that, right? Zacchaeus was a little man, so he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? And as the Savior passed away, he looked in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, right? And this is how we learned it. He points to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you come down from there. We've taught our children a lie. Because Jesus didn't point at Zacchaeus and go, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. Because Zacchaeus didn't come down with an anxious heart. He didn't come down reluctantly. He came down gladly. And so what that tells us is that Jesus' approach to Zacchaeus was one of warmth and one of grace. It's important for us to understand that because that's God's posture towards us. In fact, let me me contrast Zacchaeus with another man who came to Jesus. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He came humbly. He bowed. Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And that that rich young ruler, he believed that his way to connect to God was through his own self-righteousness. I've kept all these commandments since I was a boy. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' posture is very different. Zacchaeus isn't standing on his own ability. He's not referencing his own accomplishments. Here's what he understands. He understands that any good thing that he has done really doesn't matter. And yet, isn't it interesting, the one who is self-righteous, when he leaves Jesus, how does the self-righteous leave Jesus? He leaves Jesus sad. What does Jesus declare over the household of Zacchaeus? Today, salvation has come to this household. And here's what it was. It was a transformation of character. It was a transformation of character. Let me ask you a question. Actually, I want to ask you three questions. What makes you laugh? What makes you laugh? Question number two. What makes you cry? Question number three, what makes you angry? What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you angry? If, if you tell me what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, what makes you angry, I can tell you what your values are. If you tell me what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, or what makes you angry, I'll have a very clear picture of your character. What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you angry? Character. Character. It's, 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 a, it's a quality that has become so deficient in our world today, and yet it's character, I'm convinced, that is needed most. See, I'm convinced that our world today, that we need men and women who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who, who put character over wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who, who are larger than their vocations, who are willing to take the appropriate chances. We need men and women that, that don't lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be as honest 
in the small things as they are in the big things. Who will make no compromise with wrong. Whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires. Who will not say they simply do it because everyone else is doing it. Who are true friends through good report and evil report in adversity as well as in prosperity. Who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities of winning success. Who are not afraid or ashamed to stand up for what's right, even when it's unpopular. Who can say no with emphasis, even when all the world is saying yes. We're a culture that is being led by consensus. And consensus, public opinion, shifts like the weather. And yet we, as Christ followers, are called to follow a God and Savior who does not change. Character. Character. Wisest man who ever lived was Solomon. And Solomon wrote this in Proverbs, the, the seventh chapter. He says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. And, and, and then he gives this picture, this illustration of, of a crisis of character. And, and from this story in Proverbs chapter 7, we can see when character crisis will come. And character crisis comes, friends, when we do this, when we allow ourselves to be put in the wrong place. Proverbs 7, starting in verse 7, Solomon says this, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner. You can already... You can already guess where this story is going to go. He was going down the street near her corner. One of the, uh, one of the great concerns that I have that I see in Christians today is we ask the question of how close can we get to the things of the world without getting sucked into sin? How close can I get? How, how, how much can I dip my toe into the pool of sin without it adversely impacting me? Can I, can I step in ankle deep and still be okay? Can I, can I venture in knee deep without being swept away? How, how much can I play in the pool of sin without it impacting me? I heard a number of years ago a, an illustration that, that demonstrated this beautifully. One of, the, uh, one of the biggest bakers on the East Coast back in the late 1800s 
uh, he, had, he, he had worked to, to develop uh, his, th- this line of baked goods stores and really had been very career focused. And so he, he didn't get married until a little bit later. And then finally there was a, a, a girl who took his breath away and, uh, and they, they, they were married. And, 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 and very quickly after being married, uh, she became uh, a pregnant with child and, and a, a, a beautiful daughter was born. And in this, the, 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 the businessman knew that he would, that he would have to tra- continue his, to travel extensively. And he was very concerned because his wife, who had been traveling with him, now would need to stay home and take care of the child. And he would be gone, and he wanted to make sure that his wife would be well taken care of. And one of his concerns was how she would get back and forth from their substantial homestead into into town. And so he put out an ad in newspapers all along the eastern seaboard and said this, looking for a carriage driver and someone who is well-versed in animal husbandry to take care of the limited livestock that we have, uh, but the most important job was to be the carriage driver for his family. And one by one, they came from all across the eastern seaboard. And they would come and they would interview. And he would, he would ask them questions as it related to animal husbandry. He would ask them questions as it related to carriage maintenance. And, and then he would ask them all one final question. And he would take them out just a few miles from the homestead. And he would take them out to an area uh, along the side of the road that not too far off the side of the road there was a very large ravine. And he would ask them this question. He would say, You, as a carriage driver, how close do you feel that you could get to the edge of this ravine without putting the carriage over? And one gentleman said, I I believe this. I believe I could run that carriage with the horses at a steady trot. I could get within 10 feet of that ravine. You, You wouldn't need to even give a second thought about your wife or your daughter. The next gentleman. I I believe I could get to within three feet Next gentleman, the the business owner explains to him, do you understand this is the most precious thing in all the world to me, my family. How close can you get? And the gentleman said this, understand this, sir. My hand is so steady that I could run the wheels of that carriage along the edge of that ravine and you wouldn't have to give it a second thought. Finally, a carriage driver came and he, he ran him through all the questions, took him out to the edge of the ravine, asked him the same question. And the carriage driver looked at him and said, sir, with all due respect, you're asking the wrong question. If you genuinely care about your wife and your daughter, you shouldn't ask me how close I can get to the edge of the ravine without falling in. You should ask me how far I can stay away from it and still get to where I'm going. And so much of the church today is asking how close can we get to the garbage of the world without falling in rather than asking the question, how much can we, how much can we stay away from that and yet still be the salt and light that God has called us to be? Because understand this, we cannot simply close ourselves off in a holy huddle because the world is in need of the good news of Jesus Christ, but there has to be a standard of character. And in the story that Solomon tells in Proverbs 7, the young man who who lacked wisdom, the young man who lacked judgment, he was going down the street near her corner. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. He said, prove all things, 
but hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from even the very appearance of evil. Right? All, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I don't walk in legalism, friend. I, I, I don't. You know what? I, I want you to know, I, I, I did not rob a convenience store this week. Are you proud of me? Thank you. Yeah, that's quite, that's quite the accomplishment. And I didn't not rob a convenience store because the Bible tells me don't steal. I didn't rob a convenience store because my values, right? If the Bible did not say don't commit adultery, I would not cheat on my wife. Let me say that again. If the Bible did not say do not commit adultery, I still would not cheat on my wife. Why? Because the, how much I value that relationship with her, I, I'm not going to compromise it. We have, to be, we have to be people of significant value. And, and we, we live the life that we live because it's the right thing to do. It's interesting, in the story in Proverbs 7, he wasn't just walking near her house, he was walking in that direction. He was headed towards her house. Stark contrast to what David wrote in Psalm 119. When he declared this, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Lord. And not only was he walking in the wrong place and in the wrong direction, but he was there at the wrong time. He was there at twilight, right? As darkness is setting in. And there she was. Verse number 10 of Proverbs 7. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. You don't have to go looking for trouble. It will find you. You don't have to go looking for difficulty. It's there. You don't have to go looking for compromise. It will knock on your door. My, uh, my nephew who uh, was baptized last Sunday morning. A few weeks prior, I, I received a phone call from my sister. And, uh, and she asked me, she said, she said uh, hey, Billy, her son, my nephew, Billy is going to be getting, getting out of prison um, in the middle of May. He gets out on a Saturday. I'm going to fly him to Illinois on Monday. Can he stay at your house? Sure, was my response. That was not the thought in my head. The thought in my head was this, I don't want a guy who's getting out of prison at nine o'clock on Saturday morning staying at my house Saturday night. Okay, judge me if you want, but that's where I'm at. Anybody, can anybody else relate to that? I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. So, um, because let me tell you about Billy. Billy's a young man that he, he, he'd just been in trouble his entire life. And actually, I, I didn't know until 
I didn't know until having him at my home this past weekend, I didn't know how far downhill his life had gone. He told me that his, his business had gone bad and as a result of that, he had, he, had, he, had, he had committed fraud on some people. And, uh, and so that became known, caused his business to close. And the next thing he knew, his life had spun out of control so much that what he was doing to survive is he was making drugs. Ended up buying a fifth wheel trailer, parked it on a guy's property because the guy let him park the fifth wheel on the property because he wanted my nephew to make drugs for him. At first he was just making the drugs, then he started using Next thing he knew, he was using more than he was, than, he was, than, than he was selling. Police found out about it, staked out his fifth wheel trailer, and for the last few months before he was arrested, actually turned himself in, he was living in the woods. Living in the woods in a tent, making meth to survive. That's how far downhill life had gone for him. He wasn't raised that way. He didn't grow up in that kind of a house. And yet here's what happened. As a youth, he lacked judgment. And he put himself in the wrong place, walking in the wrong direction at the wrong time, and the inevitable happened. But here's what I love. I love how God will get our attention. And I love the fact that even though the church might beat us up, God doesn't. God didn't beat up Zacchaeus, did he? Jesus didn't walk up to Zacchaeus and go, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. Zacchaeus, seriously, you are a messed up guy and you got some serious things you need to deal with. You and I, we need to chat, son. That's not what he did. Jesus, full of grace, full of love, says, Zacchaeus, I want to spend some time with you. My nephew ended up getting 36 months of jail time. Should have gotten a lot more than that. And while he was in jail, a few things happened. First of all, he told me this. He said when he was first in prison, for, for, for some time while he was first in prison, he said he would think about shooting up at least 100 times a day. He said that's how much the drug called to him. He said, but then, he said, um, he said, my sister, his mom, said, you need to go to the prison church service. And so he decided he would reluctantly go. But the guys there were kind of nice, and somebody gave him a Bible. He said the first Bible that he got was a, a Bible that he, he couldn't really understand because it was written really poorly. It was a King James Version Bible, and I explained to him, I said, well, the Bible you're reading was written in 1611. We don't talk that way anymore. It's, there's a reason why you couldn't understand it. And he said, I started out in the Old Testament, and that was pretty weird. And then he said, and then I went to the New Testament. And he goes, I, started, I really like the New Testament. And he goes, then I asked the guy um, if there was a, a Bible that I... I that had a, you know, a more modern words in it. And he said, and then the guy gave me this Bible. He goes, it's called a fire Bible. Okay, now if y'all have been around, you've heard me talk about this thing, the fire Bible. We give every year to the fire Bible project. The, the, the fire Bible that's designed specifically for prisoners was 
a project that was, that was championed by a very good friend of mine. And actually the church that I was pastoring at the time, we were involved in, in giving the initial financial push to help the fire Bible get done. And can I tell you that I, I, Jody and I regularly give to missions. I never imagined that us giving to missions that it would have an impact on my specific family. And as my nephew is sitting there and he's explaining to me this thing, the fire Bible, that, I, that I've been involved in. Uh, in fact, um, I, I was invited to, I'm not going to go, I was invited to be in Istanbul, Turkey later this week for the release of the Farsi fire Bible. And, uh, but he's explaining to me this fire Bible, which I thought was really cool. And he said, I started reading this thing. And he goes, and it's got study notes in it. And, it's got, and he, goes, he goes, I just started reading through the, note, oh, the New Testament over and over and over again. He said, and then I got a, I got a, a transistor radio. He said, there's not very much they'll let you have in prison in Florida. He said, they'll let you have an electric razor and a transistor radio. And he said, this transistor radio, he said it had 20 presets. And, and he goes, um, when I got to Orlando, he was in, in, in the last nine months he was in Orlando, he said, um, there were 17 presets that the radio station would pick up that were English. And he said, I, I would just, I would press the button and go through preset, 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 preset. And I find myself regularly landing on this radio station, 88.3. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, he goes, I love that radio station. He goes, the only complaint that I have is they don't tell the names of the songs. And so he showed me, he has this, this spiral notebook that he's got where he's written down the lyrics of all these songs to where he could find out once he got out of prison what the names of the songs were. And he said, uh, he goes, at, at some point in, in reading that Bible and listening to those songs, something happened in me. He said, my, my life was changed. And he, and he made this comment that actually sparked me writing this message. He said this. He said, my center shifted. My center shifted. So let me, let me give you just real briefly, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here quick this morning, but let me just get, get, give this to you real briefly. Walking in character. Proverbs 7 says this. It says, keep my commands and you will live. See, we walk in character when we remember the commands of God. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. That's the reason why David would say just a, just a couple of verses later, your word have I hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. See, God wants us to live biblically. What does that look like? Well, biblical conversation. Biblical conversation. Paul wrote in, in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. What makes you laugh? Biblical relationships. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, Romans 12 says. What makes you angry? Biblical finances. God loves a cheerful giver. Biblical time integrity. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See, when we, when we live biblically, when we, when we live according to the commands in Scripture, life works. In fact, tell me the area that you're stressed in life. And nine times out of ten, I'll show you the area in life that you have compromised in your relationship with God, where you have compromised your character. 
Show me somebody who is, who is stressed over finances. I'll show you somebody who's not operating in character when it comes to biblical stewardship. Show me somebody who is stressed in their job. I'll show you somebody that nine times out of ten has not released that to God. And you're trying to control your own destiny. You're the rich young ruler trying to accomplish everything through self-righteousness rather than reliance on God. Show me somebody who's freaked out over a relationship and I'll show you somebody who has not allowed God to be Lord over their relationships. And so life works and character conquers all when we remember the commands. And, and when we do this, when we reinforce our principles, when, when we reinforce our principles, that's what Proverbs 7.2 says. It says, guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Stand and protect those principles. See, it's really easy to get off-centered. Some people live their life spouse-centered. And, and, and spouse-centered, we, we view everything through um, the eyes of our spouse. And, and how our spouse sees things is the main source uh, of, of need and satisfaction. And when we do that, what happens is this. Family is out of place. Finances are out of place. Church is out of place. Self is out of place. Some of us were family-centered. So our family is our, our highest priority. No matter who they are or how they treat us, family is our, our highest priority. And when we do that, when family is our highest priority, well, family should be our highest priority, we, should, we, we might think. But when, but when we're family-centered, our spouse is, is part of the family. Um, the money that we get is all for economic support for the family. Church is a source of help for the family. Always uh, go together or, or typically not at all. And, and self, we're a vital part of the family. However, we're subordinate to it. Money, money-centered. When we're money-centered, it becomes the main source of our security, fulfillment, and identity. And without it, we feel small and insignificant. So our spouse is either an asset or a liability, depending on what they bring to the table. Family uh, oftentimes is viewed as an economic drain. The church is a, is oftentimes it's a tax write-off or a, another bunch of charlatans with their hands in your pocket. And let, let me just say this as I speak to church real quickly. It's easy to become church-centered. And when we're church-centered, our self-worth is determined by the level of devotion we have to church and church activities. And our performance and deeds are driven by Church ethics and nothing else. Most of us live self-centered. 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 When we're self-centered, our spouse is, is there to please and satisfy us. Family is viewed in many respects as a possession that's available at our beck and call. Money is a, just a source to, to fulfill our needs. And church... Church is surprised it's just yet another vehicle to perform self-serving deeds. And it's real easy for us to become me-centered, self-centered. Or, or, or maybe be a bit more altruistic, family-centered, or, or, or church-centered, or spouse-centered. God doesn't want us to be any of those. He wants us to honor our family. He wants us to take care of ourselves. He wants us to be connected to church. He wants to bless us financially. He wants the relationship with our spouse to be healthy. But over and over again throughout Scripture, it talks about living a principle-centered life. A principle-centered life. See, when we're, when we're principle-centered, we, we endeavor to live our life in adherence to these immutable laws that we find in the Word of God. 
uh, which, which cannot be violated. In fact, let, let me, I had this thought this morning. Let me share this. I wasn't going to share this, but let me share this. I wonder what the role in heaven is going to be for the people that are connected to the church that are liars and cheats. One of the, one of the greatest concerns that I have is this, is that the profession that I'm in a generation ago was a well-regarded profession. A generation ago, if you would tell somebody that you were a pastor, there was a reason why we were called reverend. And that's not the case anymore. And you know what? The, the skeptical nature by which people look at members of the clergy, that skepticism is it's well-deserved. Now, most of the men that I know, most of the men that I, that I serve along with, most of the men that I consider to be colleagues, they are men of impeccable character, impeccable integrity. But you don't have to look very far to find people in vocational ministry that use the church for their own advancement and for their own gain. They use the church funds as their own personal checkbook. And I, I, I feel sorry for them when they get to heaven and find out how that goes. Because if they make it, Scripture says they will make it as one escaping the flames. Character. Here's what Proverbs 7 says. It says this about this issue of values. Bind them on your heart. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Or bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your kinsman. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you angry? It's important that we can ans answer that question. Because here's what I want you to know. If you sow a thought, you'll reap an act. If you sow an act, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. And when you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Your destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. The choices that you make determine your destiny. And it all comes back, friends, to this issue of values. It all comes back to this issue of character. Character counts. That needs to be true as an individual. It needs to be true as a church. And it is very important that we recapture this as a nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land.
This fall, there's an election. It's very important that you vote. But you know what's more important than your vote? It's that you get on your knees and pray. And you say this, God, I, I, I want to be I want to be a citizen of a nation of character. And God, I understand that to be a citizen of a nation of character, that it starts with me, that it starts with my household. God, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm choosing to no longer cheat. I'm not going to cheat in my relationship with you. I'm not going to cheat in areas of stewardship. I'm not going to cheat in my relationships with others. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cheat in the way that I do business. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to walk with character. Jim, I've, I've heard you tell a story a few times of when you took over the Nissan dealership here in Orlando. And you went in and you told the Salesman, you said, here's the thing, we're not asking you to be Christians, but we want you to know that we're a Christian company. We're going to operate by Christian values. And one of your salesmen said, so does that mean we can't lie and cheat the customers? He said, that's exactly right. And he says, I can't do business that way. And he walked out. And yet operating in that world and operating with character and integrity, God Bless your business. Why? Because character works. Character counts. So I want you to know two things, and then we're going to close. Number one, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The world is watching. Do you ever do something and have somebody say to you, and you call yourself a Christian? Yeah. I had a situation a couple weeks ago where I was, I was upset with someone. And I explained to them that I was upset with them. And he said, and you call yourself a Christian? I said, yes, I do. And I want you to know this. If you read in, in the scripture that God got angry, okay? And if God got angry, I can get angry. Listen, I said, did I raise my voice at you? Did I say, did I use any bad words? Did I attack your character? No, but what you're doing is wrong. But the world is watching. And here's the thing. I can't speak for the entire church, but I can speak for Calvary. When they look at us, they're going to see something different. They're going to see people who practice what they preach. People who are honest in their imperfection. Second thing that I want you to know is this. You're here this morning, and, and man, this issue of character, it's a, it's a battle for you. It's a, it's a challenge for you. Sir, you've come today, and you know this. You're not a truth teller. I'm not picking on you. Ma'am, you came here this morning, and and you've got multiple areas of compromise in your life. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I want you to know that the same God 
who stopped his parade to call to the most, most corrupt man in that city and said, hey, come on down. You don't have to be up there in the shadows. You don't, you don't, have, you don't have to try to, to stealthily connect with me. Come on down. I'm not ashamed of you and I'm not ashamed to be identified with you. I want people to know that I'm hanging out with you, imperfect man. That's what Jesus said to Zacchaeus and that's what he's saying to you today. He's not judging you. He's not condemning you. But he brought you here this morning to let you know there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. Do not live your life as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Their days are evil. Character counts. Thank you for joining us for Calvary Connect. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for our Sunday morning worship experience each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We are located right off I-4 at 1199 Clay Street. To connect more with Calvary, visit our website at calvaryorlando.tv. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for watching and God bless.